How is everybody doing this morning? Oops, I thought I pushed that button. There we go. I got it that time. How's everybody doing this morning? Glad to be with you here and uh, in my little one-man outfit that I run together with my friends as we look at Scripture and try to figure out what it means to be followers of Jesus and uh, to live as followers of Jesus, because that's what we're called to. Now, last week, we uh, were in the midst of our broadcast when things just stopped, completely just stopped. The computer froze right up, so I apologize about that. And uh, here we are. We'll try it again today. Hopefully, we don't have any issues. It's very... Very, very uncommon for something like that to happen, but I, I was dead in the water, couldn't do anything last week. But 
here here we are. You have my lovely face uh, and uh, my my high tenor voice here, soprano voice, I should say, and uh, we will get into the text of Scripture. We, we were looking last week at Acts 6 and uh, how Stephen was uh, speaking. And I'll take us into Acts 6 and just give a quick little recap on that, and then we will jump into um, chapter 7. Stephen says, A man full of God's grace and power did wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Now, I need to remember, he was called to be, he was appointed to be a deacon. Uh, and they were supposed to take care of administrative details, and he did that. But he also performed function with uh, God's grace and power and uh, did great wonders and signs. And you notice it says, however, uh, from the members of the synagogue, of the freedmen, uh, as it was called, uh, Jews from Cyrene and Alexandria, which were kind of the northern part uh, of Africa, right up on the the coast of the Mediterranean, uh, the southern Mediterranean, northern coast of uh, Africa, uh, and as well as provinces of Cilicia and Asia. Cilicia, perhaps being you know, Turkish area, Asia, Turkey, that part of the world, it says they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. They secretly persuaded men to say all kinds of false things. It says in verse 13, they produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. We've heard him say that uh, this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down. All kinds of law, uh, lies that they are fabricating about him. Verse 15 says, all who were sitting... In the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like that of an angel. He had a glow. That's what it means. Uh, he did not look uh, intimidated. He did not look fearful. Uh, it says he had the face of an angel, and just the idea being that... Uh, a radiance about him. When we're walking with Jesus as we should, uh, we can have a radiance about us, a glow, if you will. And sometimes we have things to work out and deal with in our lives so that we can have that glow. Sometimes we we walk in sinful ways that, that keep us from radiating the glow. Uh, and sometimes we don't draw near to Jesus. Sometimes we're too busy. There's all kinds of things, all kinds of factors that are part of that. But when we walk close with Jesus, when we're living with Jesus, when we're living a life in the Spirit, we can, like Stephen, have this radiance about us. As it says in verse 15, they saw that his face was like that of an angel. So the angel, this angelic glow about him. Now, we'll continue into chapter 7 because we said that's where we would go uh, in the title. It says, the chief priests asked him, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. Now, Mesopotamia, friends, is that region, actually Iraq, Iran, 
Uh, it goes from the Mediterranean kind of down through the, the river basins between the rivers. Uh, Mesopotamia actually means between the rivers. Uh, and then runs down to like the, the Suez region, kind of right down through, uh, diagonally through the middle of what we would call the Middle East. That is the region of Mesopotamia. That's where Abraham was. It says, the glory of God appeared to our father while he was still in Mesopotamia. Before he lived in Haran, leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. Um, I'm going to show you something. I believe I'm going to show you something. Now, I will show you ancient Mesopotamia, and you can see it here. Uh, this whole area, which which would include have included Israel here, uh, but really this this section down through here, where you see my mouse running right now, is is considered more modern day Mesopotamia. Let me put this map up here. You can see this region called Mesopotamia. Now, some may have included uh, this part, which became Israel, and this section down to the Nile. Um, different renderings of just what Mesopotamia was. This fertile crescent that is here, uh, that area perhaps being called Mesopotamia. So it could have included the land. Uh, this, this is more the traditional view from uh, Tal Halaf all the way down here to, uh, to to the area of Susa here, Kish, Nippur, uh, Lagesh, this area down to the Persian Gulf. I, I said Suez, I meant the Persian, well, yeah, but down to the Persian Gulf, that area. So you, just to get the idea, it could be anywhere in this area, which would be modern-day Iraq, Iran, that, that area of the world. Uh, and if you take, this view, the or the Fertile Crescent, if it is included as Mesopotamia, wrapping all the way down through uh, Jerusalem, uh, down through Israel. That's the area, not to confuse you, uh, but that's the area from which um, Abraham was living. Back to the text, it says, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people. Go, uh, God said, and go to the land I will show you. He didn't say, I want you to go to such and such a location. He didn't say, hey, here's the pin. I'm going to drop a pin for you so you know where to go. You know, like like those little pins like, like on a map, uh, on your cell phone, uh, destination. He didn't say, these are your coordinates. He didn't say, this is the name of the town. He said, start following me, and I'll show you where to go. Verse 4, so he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran after his death, after the death of his father. God, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground, but God promised him that he and his descendants after him would, in fact, possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, your descendants will be strangers in the country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. So even beforehand, God is speaking and talking about, as it says here, 
the 400 years, which we know were the 400 years that they would spend in Egypt. It says, I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Speaking of the place of Israel. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. Now, he's given history lesson here. It says, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him. God had a plan and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom, enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our fathers could not find food. When Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, because Joseph had set aside the grain, he sent our fathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph, let me move the text. After this, Joseph sent for his brother Jacob and his whole family. 75 in all, so 75 people moved to, uh, to Egypt. It says, then Jacob went down to Egypt where he and our fathers died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. Now, I want to pull this up. I'm going to move it out of the way. And I will show you something here. Okay, this is the one we want to put up here. drag this over here. Oops. It, there we go. Shechem. Now you can see where Shechem is. You have Samaria here. Uh, down here you have Jericho. Uh, down lower you will have down here. Uh, here it is. It is Jerusalem right here. You have the Dead Sea in the south, Sea of Galilee, but Shechem. This is the area that we're talking about right here. That That is where Joseph went to, uh, not Joseph, that is where uh, where they went. Let me get back into the text. Their bodies were brought to Shechem. That's where the bodies were brought. That's the, the place where Abraham uh, had bought uh, a tomb. Uh, Abraham bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. It says his time drew near for God to fulfill his purpose to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Then another king who knew nothing about Joseph became the ruler of Egypt. He's giving a history lesson here. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For, for three months, he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him as her own son. 
And it says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. It's interesting that it says he was powerful in speech and action, yet Moses would say to God uh, in Exodus chapter 3, I, I don't speak well. Yet this says that he was powerful in speech and action. It says when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought his own people realized that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you're brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? This is a long passage, friends. I'm just going to keep reading. When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. And after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses. Moses is now 80 years of age. Friends, sometimes the best, most glorious, most powerful things will happen to us late in life. So any who are listening who are late in life, hang on there, friends. Do not be discouraged at all. Because late in life, God might do just absolutely wonderful things in your life, in your 80s. So I'm just saying that. Be encouraged. Um, verse 30 said, After 40 years passed, the angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. Now, he is not getting technical about the fact that he saw God. Sometimes we, we get all technical about things, but he, he said he saw an angel. Well, back in the book of Exodus, it's revealed that he saw, uh, encountered the Lord in that burning bush. Here, Stephen is saying he saw an angel. Sometimes, again, we get very technical, and uh, uh, Stephen is, is relaying the story in a way that's palatable to the people, in a way that's memorable, a way that he could remember. Verse 31 says, When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. He went over to look more closely. He heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said, Take off your sandals. The place where you're standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning. I have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. Now there's something I want to just draw out from the little bit that we've just read. Sometimes there will be seasons of suffering. Uh, verse 34 said, I have heard their groaning. I've seen the oppression of my people. It lasted 400 years. Friends, sometimes we might suffer for years and years and years. And don't think that God doesn't care. Don't think that God doesn't see. Don't think that God doesn't know. But sometimes God allows us to stay in a position of suffering for a certain period of time because he's wanting to work something in our lives. There is the prosperity gospel that teaches oh, God, won't let, God doesn't want anybody to suffer. Well, as you read the Bible from stem to stern, from cover to cover, from beginning to end, you begin to realize that, that God's people do suffer and that, in fact, we are called to suffer together 
with Jesus, and we may have to go through our suffering. It is in the deliverance from the suffering which we undergo uh, in which we can have glorious and great encounters with God, even as they had here. Verse 34 said, come now, I will send you back to Egypt. Verse 35, this is the same Moses whom they rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge? Uh, he was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in a bush, but they didn't know that. He knew that, but they didn't know that. And it says, he led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. Now, there's one other thing I, I want to draw out of this. Sometimes when God's going to do something great, he doesn't do it the way it's always been done. And we, we like to do things the way they've always been done. Well, in this instance, God was do he did something with Abraham. The great thing he did with Abraham, he didn't do in the normal way. He said, get up and go to the land I will show you. The thing he was going to do in Moses, he didn't do in a normal way. And sometimes when we just want to buy the script that, that we've been given, even through the church, capital C, uh, we can stand in the way of the great thing that God is wanting to do. The people stood in the way. They said, well, who left you? I mean, we never heard of such a thing, and this isn't going to work. And they had all their, all their reasons to reject what Moses had been sent to do because Moses was sent to do something unique and wonderful and powerful uh, among them and to see them be delivered from the hands of the Egyptians. Don't settle for the same old, same old. Don't think that just doing things the way they've always been done is the way that God is always going to do things, especially when the way that things have always been done has stood in the way of the great works of God. We continue on here. Verse 37. Go to, go to verse 36. Back verse 35. End of verse 35 says, He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders, miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea for 40 years in the desert. That is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on the mount on Mount Sinai and with our fathers uh, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him instead they rejected him and in the and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. Now they didn't actually physically go back to Egypt, but in their hearts they returned back to Egypt. What they say? They said, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honor of what their hands had made. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies. This agrees with what's written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You've lifted up the shrine of Molech and the star of your god, Raphon. Uh, the idols you made to worship. 
their files send you into exile beyond the Babylon, uh, beyond Babylon. Again, the area beyond the Mesopotamia. Our forefathers had the tabernacle, the testimony with them in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained until uh, the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or where will my resting place be? Let me move the text back to the top of the screen. Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're just like your forefathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You you who have received the law that was put into effect through the angels, but have not obeyed it. He's calling them out. He is confronting them. And notice what it says. They resisted, verse 51, they resist the Holy Spirit. What ways do we resist the Holy Spirit in our own lives? What ways do we we resist the Holy Spirit in the life of the church? Uh, What might the Holy Spirit be wanting to do? What's he stirring in our hearts to do? And, and, And it can be very simple things. He might say, I want you to do this today. And, um, when we say, well, I'm not going to do that today, it might be he wants us to to purge something from our lives, and we don't purge it, we don't listen. But when we listen, it might be a, a very simple step, something he wants us to do. It might be an act he wants us to take. It might be reaching out to somebody he wants us to reach out to. Uh, or it could be what he is wanting to do in our world, in our day, uh, and we resist the Holy Spirit. Do we resist the Holy Spirit in our personal lives? Do we resist the the Holy Spirit in our corporate life? What is the Holy Spirit wanting to work into your life today? And or what is the Holy Spirit wanting to work into the life of the church? Um, Something that that we just need to consider. What is he wanting to do? Do we resist the Holy Spirit? What ways do we resist the Holy Spirit? It, it, It comes down to two words. There's the quenching of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is trying to get us to do something and we we throw a wet blanket over him and say, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to reach out to that person. I'm not going to take that step of faith. Or uh, when we grieve him by doing the things he doesn't want us to do, and he's saying, no, 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 don't do that. In those ways, we resist the Holy Spirit. He is calling out the people of his own day, the people to whom he is speaking and saying, you resist. You are stiff, stiff-necked people. Uh, And he says, you're just like your fathers, verse 51, always resisting the Holy Spirit. Then And it goes on and says, look, was there ever a prophet your fathers didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you've betrayed and murdered him too. You received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. You receive it, but not obeyed it. So we need to... to, uh, Ask ourselves, what do we do in 
terms of obedience. And I want to turn over to the... Well, I just realized that that camera is not on, but that's okay. I'm going to turn to comments. I notice as I'm studying the Word of God, there is a lot of repetition of the story of the people of Israel. I think because we can easily forget what God has done, God wants to remind us how wicked we are and how holy he is. That That is absolutely right. I mean, we see it repeated numerous times in the book of Acts. We'll see the story, this particular story. Peter preached the story. Paul will later preach the story. Uh, here we see Stephen preaching the story, reviewing the history, or as you go into the book of Psalms, you see numerous places there where, where the story is rehearsed. They're being reminded, uh, and we're being reminded as well to ourselves, not resist the Holy Spirit to not be stiff-necked people. Well, let's finish out this, this section of Scripture here this morning says, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth. Now, I, just for the record, I know it's gnashed. just want you to know that. It says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, and they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. We'll read about him in, in just a couple chapters. It says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he said this, he fell asleep, dead. Now, I'm adding dead. It's not a word that's there, but dead. He fell asleep dead. But you look at Stephen, and I guess I just read it, but I didn't have it on the screen for you. Look at Stephen. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 55, he looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing. So when people talk about seeing Jesus standing there, that was exactly the experience that Stephen had. Full of the Holy Spirit, and he went peaceably, into eternity because his eyes were fixed on Jesus. Verse 57 says that this, they covered their ears and yelling. It's kind of like they, they had stuck their, their fingers in their ears and going, la, 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 kind of like that. They don't want to hear what, what Stephen has to say. They covered their ears, yelling top of their voices. They rushed to him, and, and we know what happened. They stoned him to death. And it's interesting, two things that Stephen has to say here. One in verse 59, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then secondly, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Hearkening back to the words of Jesus, perhaps Stephen heard Jesus speak the words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen may have been an earshot of, of hearing that at the crucifixion of Jesus. And he is saying the same thing. And we need to be in the same place of heart where we're willing to release people from their sins, and not hold it against them. Well, are we people full of faith? Are we people filled with the Holy Spirit? Do we have the, the radiance of Jesus on our faces? It is our hope. It is my prayer that we in our lives would, would radiate Jesus, that people would experience Jesus when they're around you, when they're around me. And one of two things will happen. Well, it could be three. One thing is, They'll hate it, even as we read here in Acts chapter 7. 
They will absolutely, there will be people who will absolutely hate the radiance of Jesus Christ in your life. Or secondly, people will turn to Jesus Christ. They'll, they'll, they'll see the radiance, and it's interesting that Luke records it this way, because they will see the radiance in your life, and they will be drawn to the Jesus. Or a third is they'll just go on their merry way. They won't be mad. They won't be drawn. They'll just go back to life as they know it. But friends, our prayer is that as people experience Jesus in our lives, in and through our lives, that they would be drawn to Jesus and give their life to Jesus as well. Well, friends, today, may you be filled with the Holy Spirit. May you have the radiance of Jesus upon you. Lord, that's our prayer today, that we would walk with you, that we would not uh, that we would not grieve the Holy Spirit, that we would not stand in the way of the Holy Spirit as we read, that we would not resist the Holy Spirit, but that we would live together with your Spirit, empowered by your Spirit, living for the glory of God. Lord, that's our prayer today. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, have a great day. I will see you tomorrow.